Good evening, church family. It is a great pleasure and privilege to, uh, to be standing here in front of you this evening. And uh, as was mentioned, my name is Peter Johnson. It's a pretty generic name. Uh, but my wife Kaylee and I moved here from the Dayton, Ohio area to, to Glens Falls about a year ago. We came so that I could attend seminary and, and join the mentoring group led by Pastor Robbie, as, as Jeff has mentioned, and uh, we quickly became partners here at New Hope. And I want to personally thank you guys for being an, an amazing church family. Kaylee and I have had our share of challenges in moving up to upstate New York, but you all have been an incredible blessing to us, and we have certainly enjoyed becoming uh, members here at, uh, in the community of saints that we have here in this area. And so I know we have not been able to meet all of you here yet, so allow me to show you a picture <clears throat> of our little family. <laughs> Kaylee and I just celebrated our two-year wedding anniversary last month. <laughs> And uh, though there has been many a conversation about children, we, we don't have any yet. <laughs> However, we do house a demon in our apartment, if you can, if you can see him up there. He, uh, he goes by the name of Loki, a fitting name that uh, we decided to keep after picking him up from the shelter. Uh, he is entering his bratty teenage years, as I'm sure some of you are familiar with. And uh, he'll be lucky if he sees the end of them. <laughs> so Kaylee and I met as students attending Cedarville, uh, Cedarville University, and she is from the small town of Piqua, Ohio. Shout out to Piqua if y'all are watching. And I am from the uh, west side, as they say, of Rochester, New York, <laughs> in the small village of Churchville. <laughs> So I'm sure um, some of you may have heard of, of Roberts Wesleyan. I used to go there with my friends and, and play soccer on their campus a lot. So the reason I stand before you here today is because uh, I believe God has called my wife and I into the work of ministry. And uh, the pastors have been gra gracious to uh, give me an opportunity to share with you all the Word of God. Uh, so if you will, please turn with me to Hebrews 13, and we're going to start in verse 7. And just as a disclaimer, as you're turning, no, the pastors did not put me up to doing this particular passage. It was completely of my choosing, and it is, as I said, a joy uh, to share with you what the Lord has from us here so, please follow along with me as I read the Word of God in Hebrews 13, starting in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, 
not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for which the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priests as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come through him. Then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Amen, church? Uh, Let me pray for us. God, we come before you grateful that we are able to meet together in this building. We rejoice in the leadership that you have brought to this church body. I pray that as we study this passage together that you would convict us with your truth and empower us with the ability to live it out. And if you would, church family, please take a moment to pray for me as I prepare to share God's word with you all. Thank you, Lord, for your word, and may your spirit be present with us today as you have promised, so that we may share in the blessing of your word. We pray all this in your son's precious, amazing, and saving name. Amen. All right. Thank you for your prayer, church family. Again, it is a great honor uh, to handle God's word for God's people So now allow me, if you will, to summarize what the author of Hebrews is saying in these verses we just read. He is saying to his readers, pray for and obey those who are teaching you the truths about Christ because Jesus is the hope for us all. Pray for and obey those who are teaching you the truths about Christ because Jesus is is the hope for us all. The book of Hebrews is often called the fifth gospel, though unlike the other gospels that focus on the life and works of Jesus, Hebrews focuses far more on the person of Jesus, who he is. 
So the opening sentence of Hebrews gives us one of the most beautiful poems about Christ that we can see in all of Scripture. Some of you may remember back to grade school and having to, uh, to make some poems, maybe some limericks or haikus and other ones, you know. <laughs> you had to match the rhyming scheme to something like A-A-B-B-A or A-B-A and match a certain number of syllables in each line and all that. Well, this poem at the beginning of Hebrews does not quite follow a rhyming or syllable scheme though my Greek may not be that good, but it does follow certain themes or ideas to come to a main point in the middle of the poem. And for those of you who care, this is called a chiasm. So I have not written out the entire poem up on this slide, but I wanted to show you the progression the author makes through this poem. In point A there on the top and bottom, talks about how Jesus is the better prophet. Point B is then how he is the greatest king. And point C, in the middle there, is talks about Jesus' priestly nature. And the one that might be the most confusing up there is that the world was created through him. You're like, what does that have to do with his priestly nature? Well, there's a lot of imagery in the Bible concerning the tabernacle and the temple and the Garden of Eden. So that is the priestly tie in that, in that scene. If you look at Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, we can see this progression. And the author carefully constructs an argument built on the reality of Christ being prophet, priest, and king to ultimately say in the middle of the poem that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. The book of Hebrews was ultimately written for those who knew their Old Testament, so Jews, right? That's why it's called the book of Hebrews, to convince them that Jesus truly is the Messiah, and Jesus truly is God, Jesus really was the one that came to save them, and in fact, he is the God that they have been worshiping. So, it should be of no surprise that in a book primarily concerned with the person of Jesus, that even when the author gives us a command concerning our leaders, he firmly situates Christ at the center of that command. You know, I'm not even done with the page. Let's look closer <laughs> at what the author tells us in verses 7 and 8. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Church family, can I encourage you this evening, remember those who first shared with you the timeless truths about Christ. Remember those who first shared with you the timeless truths about Christ. See, the author 
is not just many, mentioning those who are speaking to you the word of God, as I am this evening, but those who spoke the word of God. Now, I can think of many people in my life who shared at one time or another the saving truth about Christ. Youth leaders, Sunday school teachers, pastors, chapel speakers. I went to a private school, so some of my teachers even. Maybe I could think of a couple authors of some books and maybe even some, some of my favorite music artists. Even, in fact, a hip-hop artist that I enjoy listening to calls these people our crimson cord. Who are those people in your life that led you to the living waters to be covered by Jesus' blood and cleansed of all your sins? Remember those people. For some of us, those men and women may no longer be with us. Some commentaries I read point out that the phrase, the outcome of their life, of their way of life, that we see in verse 7 here is a sort of euphemism for a martyr's death. Maybe a more understandable way to say that is to say, one who has died testifying the name of Jesus. Consider the outcome of the people who at the end of their life are still testifying for us all that Jesus is Lord. At a previous church where I served for a short while as their facility manager, I would often assist in manning the sound and tech booths at weddings and funerals. And to be honest, I really only enjoyed one of those two types of services. And this may sound kind of strange to some, maybe slightly morbid, but I enjoyed sitting in on the funerals of faithful men and women who had passed. It was always the case that the stories about these faithful men and women were filled with joy and uplifting for the soul. They were genuine celebrations of life, not fraught with fear and anger towards God. And I'll never forget the image of this elderly man who stood up in the middle of his wife's funeral and walks over to the front of the stage and braces himself with his right hand on his cane and his left hand on his wife's casket. And he shares the beautiful life he shared with this woman and how he, she had been a solid foundation in his life, and not only in his life, but the life of their church family. And he said if she was here today, she would have a simple message for all of you, and it would go something like, keep pursuing the Lord. I never knew this woman, personally, but the outcome of her life has left a legacy in my heart and in the hearts of many who were able to hear her testimony. Her life is worthy of imitation. And there may be some here today that may have never heard the timeless truths about Jesus. Many of our translations 
keep the phrase in verse 8 pretty simple by saying Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think maybe a better rendering based on the Greek grammar and doing a little bit of research is that Jesus is Christ. Jesus is the Messiah yesterday and today and into the ages. Jesus is and has been the source of salvation for all time. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, lived a sinless life, was rejected by those he came to save, and they murdered him on a cross. After dying on the cross, Jesus descended to death, but don't be misled, the theologian Matt Emerson helpfully explains that his descension into death was not the continuation of his humiliation, but the beginning of his exaltation. And, the, and death being defeated, Jesus rose from the grave and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Now all that stands before you and salvation is your confession that Jesus is Christ. Jesus is the Messiah, the one able and willing to take away the sin that separates you from God. He is the one who saves and is able to make you sinless before God. Now, before I get ahead of myself, the author has plenty more to say about Jesus in verses 9 through 16. So let's read together. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. And let me pause here. It was mentioned, Robbie mentioned it, right? First John, Adam and Jeff had taught us from First John to not be led away by some strange teachings, right? And they shared with us how to, to combat some of those things, right? So, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priests as a sacrifice to sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Church family, our strength is found in the declaring of Jesus' name and in participation with his suffering. Our strength is found in the declaring of Jesus' name and in participation with his suffering. I mentioned earlier, 
momentarily a martyr's death. The book of Acts gives us the perfect example of someone whose outcome of life was participation in Christ's suffering all while, de- all while declaring who Jesus is. The story of Stephen in Acts chapters 6 through 8 is one very similar to Christ's story. Stephen was accused by the Jewish people living in Jerusalem who brought him before the religious leaders and said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Stephen's response and defense of his actions can be read in the entirety of chapter 7, and we're not going to read all that right now, so let me summarize it for you. In his speech, Stephen recalls the great leaders of the nation of Israel, such as Abraham, Joseph, and Moses. He mentions others, but we're going to focus on these three. Abraham was the one God chose to begin his nation of Israel with. And Stephen reminds the religious leaders of God's blessing on his nation by stating that the land they were now in, Jerusalem, they're in the temple, was the land that God brought Abraham to and promised to Abraham's descendants. From there, Stephen recalls the story of Joseph and his brothers. Joseph's brothers rejected him and sold him into slavery. But God turned the brothers' evil intentions into good for all people of the earth. And we have heard Pastor Robbie's teaching on these things. God's people then dwelt in Egypt for a time, and Stephen mentions that God spares Moses as an infant and places him in a position to lead his people back to the promised land. But when Moses initially went to his brothers, they rejected him because they thought he would kill them as he did an Egyptian slaver. Eventually, though, Moses does bring his people out of Egypt and leads them through the wilderness to the promised land. But before they get But before they get there, though, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to receive the commands from God. And in Israel's impatience, what do they do? They reject God himself, just as they had rejected Joseph and Moses before. And as Stephen comes to the climax in his speech, tells the religious leaders In the temple, he says, you stiff-necked and people uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, Jesus whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law delivered by angels and did not keep it. And they were driven mad by this. The religious leaders turned into hysterical children. And I can say that even though I don't have children, I've been in there with your children, right? (laughs) 
And so the religious leaders turn, and maybe you've seen this scene play out in your house. I'm not listening. Right? That is exactly what the religious leaders did. And in their madness, they rushed at Stephen. And if you know the story, do you know where they take Stephen? It says they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And as they were stoning him, he looks up and calls to God. He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Is there anyone else in Scripture that this type of thing happened to? On the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus Christ, being wrongly accused, was brought outside the city and murdered. And the author of Hebrews says, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Why? Because we have no lasting city, but we seek the city which is to come. Church family, this is not an issue of physical location. We do not need to stand outside of Glens Falls or Queensbury and get beat up by people because we love Jesus. No, this is an issue of the heart. Do you care more about what a city, a home, a Congress, a Senate, a president, can do for you, or do you care about what God has done for you and what he has for you? Jesus, through his death and resurrection, made salvation available for all people, and I think it's interesting what happens right after Stephen was murdered. In chapter 8, we see persecution of Christians within Jerusalem start to escalate. And Christians are leaving town into the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria. Sounds a lot like the Great Commission, right? It's being played out. Their hope in a city was declining. But the mission of the kingdom of God was increasing. So they are going out, and the Christians are spreading news about Jesus in these new areas. And the text says about Samaria, it says, So there was much joy in that city. Brothers and sisters, we may not have a lasting city here on earth, but we have exactly what our city needs. Many are saying... Not necessarily saying, but many are saying that these are some of the darkest days in American history. And it is true that there are many who are depressed, angry, and just downright confused. And the author of Hebrews is telling us what we need to do. Go to Jesus, and there will be joy and praise as you share his name and continue 
to do good. As Hebrews says, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And if you all need a little refresher of what some spiritual sacrifices are or what it means to live sacrificially, we got an awesome sermon last week from Pastor Matt, right? But it is pretty simple to see from these verses that what we have is Jesus. And when we share Jesus, God is pleased. And not only is God pleased, but people are brought into that greater city that is to come. The best social reform we have at our disposal is Jesus' name. But in order to use his name effectively, we need to first understand better who he is, which brings us to the final point the author of Hebrews has for us. In verse 17, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Church family, obey what you have been taught here because our pastors desire good for your soul. Obey what Robbie, Jeff, Adam, Matt, and Drew have taught you here because they desire good for your soul. I had the privilege here recently to to start being a part of the meetings with our pastors on Tuesdays and to hear their heart for you all. And I've come to a couple conclusions from these meetings. <laughs> One of these conclusions is that these men love you. Do you want to hear the other conclusion? <laughs> I have reached another conclusion. These men have messed up at times. Amen, pastors? The author of Hebrews gives no indication that these men are always going to be right. Instead, he kind of gives the indication that these men may upset you at times, and in return, you're probably going to upset them. In a book on pastoral ministry, a man named Glenn Damon says, when character drives our ministry, then service to the church is no longer a duty, but a privilege, no longer a drudgery, but a joy. And I am grateful that when I look at the five men we have as pastors, I see men of character. But the author of Hebrews is not just calling for our leaders to be people of character. He is calling the church to be people of character. Our obedience and submission to their leadership directly impacts 
their ability to lead us well. The author of Hebrews says that it would be of no advantage to us. The word used here for no advantage in the Greek is the word elusitales. You can take that home. <laughs> Which would bring to mind the, to the original readers a sense of unprofitable venture or an inability to cover one's expenses. Remember, church family, our pastors will have to give an account to God concerning us. This is not a literal count, as some have understood it to mean. Not you, right? No, not a literal count, but rather the word here is a testimony or a word concerning not only how they have shepherded God's people, but how God's people have responded to their shepherding. I don't know that there is a more terrifying verse in all of Scripture for pastors. <laughs> but the author doesn't just speak of the pastor's responsibility, right? He brings up ours. And let me be extremely clear, because this can be an uncomfortable teaching for some of us. What I am not saying is that if we make our pastors' lives easier by increasing their salary or giving them greater vacation days or buying them a private jet and by doing these things that we are going to appease God in some way. That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that when we obey, submit, appreciate, and love our pastors, we increase their capacity to teach us the truths about Jesus and enable the word and spirit of God to truly transform our hearts and our minds. It is that simple. These men are not perfect, but they are trying to lead us to Jesus. And when we ignore their leadership, we are far more often than not rejecting Jesus. I've got three of the five, maybe two of the five, <laughs> pastors in the room with me here tonight. Can I get an amen from you pastors if you are all seeking to lead us to Jesus? Amen. And I'm sure Matt, Drew, and Adam would give us hearty amens as well. Church family, if you believe these men are filled with the Holy Spirit and truly desiring what is best for our souls, can I hear an amen? amen. Well, there you have it. <laughs> the author of Hebrews in the last two verses of our passage interjects for himself and his fellow leaders, which I believe is also characteristic of the hearts of our leaders here. Verse 18, he says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Thank God our leaders are here with us physically, but they still need our prayers 
Will you commit to prayer for our pastors, church family? They need, they really need our prayers. We are in challenging times right now for our communities, our nation, and our churches. These men need our prayers. Please do not give it praying for them. And in fact, let's not delay. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We pray that we would be able to put into action the words of the text we have studied here today. We thank you that we are a part of a community led by men that make the words of Hebrews possible. And as we pray together, I want to give an opportunity, Lord, for your people to pray silently at their seats specifically for our leaders. Again, we thank you for the leadership of Robbie, Jeff, Adam, Matt, and Drew in the lives of our church family. God, convict them by your spirit when their actions are contrary to your word and bring them joy as they work to bring us into deeper fellowship with your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, they, there may be some here today who need to submit to you first. And if there are any here today that need to do that, I would invite them to pray with me now. God, forgive me of my rebellion against you. God, save me through the blood of your Son. God, bring me into fellowship with you and your people. God, we pray that you would empower us with your spirit to be able to go from here praising your name and obeying your word. We pray all this in the powerful, glorious, and holy name of Jesus. Amen.